0: chapter three of the fathers of new england by charles andrews this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three completing the work of settlement through the portal of boston at one time or another passed all or nearly all those who were to found additional colonies in new england and from that portal willingly or unwillingly men and women journeyed north south and west searching for favorable locations buying land of the indians and laying the groundwork for permanent homes and organized communities in this way were begun the colonies of rhode island connecticut new haven and new hampshire each of which sprang in part from the desire for separate religious and political life and in part from the migratory instinct which has always characterized the englishman in his effort to find a home and a means of livelihood sometimes individuals wandered alone or in groups of two or three but more frequently covenanted companies of men and women of like minds moved across the face of the land followed indian trails or voyaged by water along the coast and up the rivers usually remaining where they first found satisfaction but often in new combinations taking up the burden of their journeying and moving on a second a third and even a fourth time in search of homes abraham pearson and his flock migrated four times in thirty years seeking a place where they might find rest under a government according to god the frontier puritan was neither docile nor easily satisfied he was restless opinionated and eager to assert himself and his convictions the controversies among the elect regarding doctrines and morals often became so heated that complete separation was the only remedy and wherever there was a migrating leader followers were sure to be found hence despite the dangers from cold famine the indian and the wilderness the men of new england were constantly shifting in these earlier years as one motive or another urged them on land was plentiful and as a rule easily obtained opportunities for trade presented themselves to any one who would seek them and the freedom of earth and sky and of nature unspoiled offered an ideal environment for a closer communion with god owing to the many varieties of religious opinion that prevailed among these radical pioneers each new grouping and consequent settlement had an individuality of its own determined by the personality of its leader and by the ideas that he represented Thus, williams clark coddington and gorton influenced rhode island hooker haines and ludlow connecticut davenport eton and pearson new haven and wheelwright and underhill new hampshire roger williams the founder of providence the first plantation to be settled in what was later the colony of rhode island was driven out of boston because he called in question the authority of the government denied the legality of its land title as derived from the king and contested the right of the magistrates to deal with matters ecclesiastical making his way through the wilderness in the winter of sixteen thirty five to sixteen thirty six he finally settled on the mooshasik river calling the place providence and in the ensuing two years he gathered about him a number of those who found the church system of massachusetts intolerable and the erastian doctrines of the magistrates according to which the sins of believers were to be punished by civil authority distressing to their consciences they drew up a plantation covenant promising to subject themselves in active or passive obedience to all such orders or agreements as might be made for the public good in an orderly way by the majority vote of the masters of families incorporated together into a town fellowship but only in civil things thus did the men of providence put into practice their doctrine of a church separable from the state and of a political order in which there were no magistrates no elders exercising civil as well as spiritual authority and no restraint on soul liberty a year or two later william coddington loyal ally of anne hutchinson with others clark Cogshaw, and aspinwall who resented the aggressive attitude of boston purchased from the indians the island of Aquidneck in narragansett bay and at the northern end planted Pocasset, afterwards portsmouth the second settlement in the colony of rhode island they too entered into a covenant to join themselves into a body politic and elected coddington as their judge and five others as elders but this modeling of the government after the practices of the old testament was not pleasing to a majority of the community which desired a more democratic organization after a few months in the spring of sixteen thirty nine coddington and his followers therefore journeyed southward and established a third settlement at newport here the members adopted a covenant engaging themselves to bear equal charges answerable to our strength and estates in common and to be governed by major voice of judge and elders the judge to have a double voice though differing from the system as developed in massachusetts the newport government at the beginning had a decidedly theocratic character the last of the rhode island settlements was at shawamet or warwick on the western mainland at the upper end of the bay there samuel Gordon, the mystic and transcendentalist one of the most individual of men in an era of striking individualities after many vicissitudes found an abiding place he was of london a clothier and professor of the mysteries of christ a believer in established authority as the surest guardian of liberty and an opponent of formalism in all its varieties arriving at boston in sixteen thirty seven at the height of the hutchinsonian controversy he had sought liberty of conscience first in boston then in plymouth and finally in portsmouth where he had become a leader after the withdrawal of coddington but in each place his instinct for justice and his too vociferous denial of the legality of verdicts rendered by self-constituted authorities led him to seek further for a home that would shelter him and his followers no sooner however was he settled at Shawamet than the massachusetts authorities laid claim to the territory and it was only after arrest imprisonment and a narrow escape from the death penalty followed by a journey to england and the enlisting of the sympathies of the earl of warwick that he made good his claim gordon returned in sixteen forty eight with a letter from warwick as lord admiral and head of the parliamentary commission on plantation affairs ordering massachusetts to cease molesting him and his people and he named the plantation warwick after his patron samuel Gordon played an influential and useful part in the later history of the colony and his career of peaceful service to rhode island belies the opinion based on winslow's partisan pamphlet hypocrisy unmasked and other contemporary writings that he was a blasphemer a crude and half-crazy thinker a proud and pestilent seducer and the most prodigious mentor of exorbitant novelties he preferred the university of human reason and reading of the volume of visible creation to sectarianism and convention no wonder the massachusetts leaders could not comprehend him he questioned their infallibility their ecclesiastical caste and their theology and for their own self-preservation they were bound to resist what they deemed his heresies thus rhode island at the beginning was formed of four separate and independent communities each in embryo a petty state no one of which possessed at first other than an indian title for its lands and a self-made plantation covenant as the warrant for its government to settle disputes over land titles and to dispose of town lands providence established in sixteen forty a court of arbitration consisting of five disposers who seem also to have served as a sort of executive board for the town in all outward relations she remained isolated from her neighbors pursuing a course of strictly local independence portsmouth and newport for the sake of greater strength united in march sixteen forty and a year later agreed on a form of government which they called a democratic or popular government in which none was to be accounted a delinquent for doctrine they set up a governor deputy governor and four assistants regularly elected and provided that all laws should be made by the freemen or the major part of them orderly assembled in the system thus established we can see the influence of the older colonies and the beginning of a stronger government but at best the experiment was half-hearted for each town reserved to itself complete control over its own affairs in sixteen forty seven portsmouth withdrew to be as free in their transactions as any other town in the colony and the spirit of separatism was still dominant but it soon became necessary for the four towns of what is now rhode island to have something more legal upon which to base their right to exist than a title derived from their plantation covenants and indian bargains massachusetts was extending her claim southward edward winslow was in england ready to show that the rhode island settlements were within the bounds of the plymouth patent and certain individuals traders and land seekers were locating in the narragansett country and taking possession of the soil to combat these claims roger williams who had so vehemently denied the validity of a royal patent a few years before but influenced now it may be by gorton's insistence that a legal title could be obtained only from england sailed overseas and secured from the parliamentary commissioners in march sixteen forty four a charter uniting providence sportsmith and newport under the name of providence plantations in the narragansett bay and granting them powers of government for the moment even this document had no certain value for in spite of the fact that the parliamentarians were at war with the king charles i was still sovereign of england and should he win the, in the civil war the title would be worthless however the patent was not put in force until sixteen forty seven after the victory of cromwell at naseby had given control into the hands of parliament and then a general meeting was held at portsmouth consisting of the freemen of warwick portsmouth and newport and ten representatives from providence the patent did not state how affairs were to be managed and the colonials meeting in subsequent assemblies worked out the problem in their own way they refused to have a governor and creating only a presiding officer with four assistants constituted a court of trials for the hearing of important criminal and civil causes no general court was created by law but a legislative body soon came into existence consisting of six deputies from each town before this portsmouth meeting of sixteen forty seven adjourned it adopted a code of laws in which witchcraft trials and imprisonment for debt were forbidden capital punishment was largely abolished and divorce was granted for adultery only in sixteen fifty two the assembly passed a noteworthy law against the holding of negroes in slavery but the new patent did not bring peace to the colony in sixteen forty nine roger williams wrote to governor winthrop our poor colony is in civil dissension their last meeting of the assembly at which i have not been have fallen into factions mr coddington and captain partridge etc are the heads of one and captain clark mr easton etc the heads of the other what had happened was this coddington representing the conservative and theocratic wing of the assembly and opposing those who were more liberally minded had evidently applied to massachusetts and plymouth for support in the effort to obtain an independent government for a quidneck this plan would have destroyed what unity the colony had obtained under the patent but coddington wished to be governor of a colony of his own both Massachusetts and Plymouth were favorable to this plan, as they hoped to further their own claims to the territory of islands and mainland. Twice Coddington made application to the newly formed Confederation of New England for admission, but was refused unless he would bring in a Aquidneck as part of Massachusetts or Plymouth, the latter of which laid claim to it. Coddington himself was willing to do this, but found the opposition to the plan so vehement that he gave up the attempt and went to England to secure a patent of his own. After long negotiations, he was successful in his quest and returned with a document which appointed him governor for life with almost vice powers. But he had reckoned without the people whom he was to govern learning of the outcome of coddington's mission and hearing that he had had secret dealings also with the dutch at new amsterdam the inhabitants of the islands rose in revolt hanged captain partridge and compelled coddington to seek safety in flight williams again went to england in sixteen fifty one and procured the recall of coddington's commission and a confirmation of his own patent and coddington in sixteen fifty six gave in his submission and was forgiven the early history of rhode island thus furnishes a remarkable exhibition of intense individualism in things religious and a warring of disruptive forces in matters of civil organization connecticut was settled during the years sixteen thirty four to sixteen thirty six by people from massachusetts knowledge of the fertile connecticut valley had come early to the dutch who had planted a blockhouse the house of good hope at the southeast corner of the land upon which hartford now stands plymouth too in searching for advantageous trade openings had sent out one william holmes who sailed past the dutch fort and took possession of the site of windsor in the autumn of sixteen thirty four a certain john oldham trader and rover and frequent disturber of the puritan peace came with a few companions and began to occupy and cultivate lands within the bounds of modern wethersfield settlers continued to arrive from massachusetts either by land or by water actuated by land hunger and stirred to movement westward by the same driving impulse that for years to come was to populate the frontier wherever it stretched the territory thus possessed was claimed at first by massachusetts on the theory that the southern line of the colony if extended westward would include this portion of the connecticut river it was also claimed by the group of english lords and gentlemen say and seal brook and other puritans who as they supposed had obtained through the earl of warwick from the new england council a grant of land extending west and southwest from narragansett bay forty leagues these claims were of course irreconcilable but the english lords in order to assert their title sent over in sixteen thirty five twenty servants known as the Stiles party who reached connecticut in the summer of that year thus by autumn there were on the ground four sets of rival claimants the dutch the plymouth traders various emigrants from massachusetts chiefly from the town of dorchester and the Styles party representing the english lords and gentlemen their relations were not harmonious for the dutch tried to drive out the plymouth traders and the latter resented in their turn the attempt of the dorchester men to occupy their lands the matter was to be settled not by force but by weight of numbers and soundness of title in 1635 a new and larger migration was under consideration in massachusetts prompted by various motives partly personal as shown in the rivalries of strong men in a colony already overstocked with leaders partly material as indicated by the desire for wider fields for cultivation and especially good pasture and partly political as evidenced by the dislike on the part of many for the power of the elders and magistrates in massachusetts and by the strong inclination of masterful men toward a government of their own thomas hooker the pastor of the newtown church john haynes the governor of massachusetts in sixteen thirty five and roger ludlow a former magistrate and deputy governor who had failed of election to the magistracy in the same year were the leaders of the movement and if we may judge from later events were believers in certain political ideas that were not finding application in the bay colony disappointed because of the rigidity of the massachusetts system they seemed to have waited for an opportunity to put into practice the principles which they believed essential to the true government of a people when the decision was finally reached and certain of the inhabitants of newtown watertown and roxbury were ready to enter on their removal the question naturally arose as to the title to the territory in june sixteen thirty five massachusetts had asserted her claim by exercising a sort of supervision over those who had already gone to connecticut but in october john winthrop jr the rev hugh peters and henry vane arrived from england with authority from the lords and gentlemen to push their claim and winthrop actually bore a commission as governor of the entire territory which included connecticut it is hardly possible that hooker and haynes would have ignored the demands of these agents and yet to acknowledge winthrop as their governor would have been to accept a head who was not of their own choosing in all probability some arrangement was made with winthrop according to which the englishman's title to the lands was recognized but at the same time the connecticut settlers were to have full powers of self-government and the question of a governor was left for the moment undecided winthrop confining his jurisdiction to saybrook the settlement which he was to promote at the mouth of the river this agreement was embodied in a commission which was drawn up by the massachusetts general court and issued in march sixteen thirty six on behalf of our said members and john winthrop jr and was to last for one year who actually wrote this commission we do not know but the connecticut men said afterwards that it arose from the desire of the people who removed because they did not want to go away without a frame of government agreed on beforehand and did not want to recognize any claims of the massachusetts jurisdiction over them by virtue of patent apparently the people going to connecticut wanted to get as far away from massachusetts as possible armed with their commission in the summer of sixteen thirty six members of the newtown church to the number of about one hundred persons led by thomas hooker their pastor and samuel stone his assistant made a famous pilgrimage under summer skies through the woods that lay between massachusetts and the connecticut river bearing mrs hooker in a litter and driving their cattle before them these courageous pioneers men women and children after a fortnight's journey reached hartford the site of their future home already occupied by those who had foregathered there in number larger even than those who had newly arrived. At about the same time, William Pynchon and others of Roxbury, acting from similar motives, took the same course westward, but instead of continuing down the Connecticut River as the others had done, stopped at its banks and made their settlement at Agawam Springfield, where they built a warehouse and a wharf for use in trade with the Indians the lower settlements hartford Wethersfield, and windsor became agricultural communities but springfield standing at the junction of indian trails and river communication was destined to become the center of the beaver trade of the region shipping furs and receiving commodities through boston either in shallops around the cape or on pack horses overland by the path the emigrants had trod pension settlement was one of the towns named in the commission and for the first year after it was founded joined with the others in maintaining order in the colony the commission government came to an end in march sixteen thirty seven and there is reason to think that during the last month an election of committees took place in hartford wethersfield and windsor which would show that the connecticut settlers were exercising the privilege of the franchise more than a year before hooker preached his famous sermon declaring that the right of government lay in the people there also is some reason to think that the leaders were still undecided whether or not to come to an agreement with the english lords and gentlemen and to put themselves under the latter's jurisdiction but as winthrop's commission expired at the end of a year and no new governor was appointed the english puritans having become absorbed in affairs at home the connecticut colony was thrown on its own resources and compelled to set up a government of its own at springfield now cast in his lot with massachusetts and from this time forward springfield was a part of the massachusetts colony but the men of connecticut disliking pynchon's desertion determined to act for themselves on may thirty one sixteen thirty eight hooker preached a sermon laying down the principles according to which government should be established and during the six months that followed the court consisting of six magistrates and nine deputies framed the fundamental orders the laws that were to govern the colony this remarkable document though deserving all the encomiums passed upon it was not a constitution in any modern sense of the word and established nothing fundamentally new because the form of government it outlined differed only in certain particulars from that of massachusetts and plymouth it was made up of two parts a preamble which is a plantation covenant like that signed in the cabin of the mayflower and a series of laws or orders passed either separately or together by the court which drafted them this court was a law-making body and it made public the laws when they were passed that this body of laws or as we may not improperly call it this frame of government was ratified as trumbull says by all the free planters assembled at hartford on january fourteenth sixteen thirty nine is not impossible though such action would seem unnecessary as the court was a representative body and unlikely as the time of year was not favorable for holding a mass meeting at hartford later courts never hesitated to change the articles without referring the changes to the planters the articles simply confirmed the system of magistrates and deputies already in existence and added provisions for the election of a governor and deputy governor who had not hitherto been chosen because of doubts regarding the jurisdiction of the english lords and gentlemen in matters of detail the connecticut system differed from that of massachusetts in three particulars it imposed no religious test for those entitled to vote but required only that the governor be a church member though it is probable that in practice only those would be admitted freemen who were covenanted christians it gave less power to the magistrates and more to the freemen and it placed the election of the governor in the hands of the voters limiting their choice only to a church member and a former magistrate and forbidding re-election until after the expiration of a year later the qualifications of a freeman were made such that only about one in every two or three voted in the seventeenth century the powers of the magistrates were increased and the governor was allowed to succeed himself connecticut was less democratic than rhode island in the seventeenth century and as the years went on fewer and fewer of the inhabitants exercised the freeman's privilege of voting for the higher officials by no stretch of the imagination can the political conditions in any of the new england colonies be called popular or democratic government was in the hands of a very few men two more settlements remain to be considered before a survey of the foundations of new england can be called complete when the rev john wheelwright the friend of ann hutchinson was driven from massachusetts and took his way northward to the region of Squamscott falls where he founded exeter he entered a territory of grants and claims and rights of possession that render the early history of new hampshire a tangle of difficulties out of a grant to gorges and mason of the stretch of coast between the merrimac and the kennebec in sixteen twenty two and a confirmation of mason's right to the region between the merrimac and the piscataqua arose the settlement of strawberry bank or portsmouth and accompanying it a controversy over the title to the soil that lasted throughout the colonial period mason called his territory new hampshire gorges planned to call the region that he received new somersetshire and both designations took root one as the name of a colony the other as that of a county in maine at an earlier date merchants of bristol and shrewsbury had become interested in this part of new england and had sent over one edward hilton who some time before sixteen twenty seven began a settlement at dover the share of the bristol merchants was purchased in sixteen thirty three by the english lords and gentlemen already concerned in the connecticut settlement for the purpose it may be of furnishing another refuge in new england should conditions at home demand their withdrawal overseas but nothing came of their purchase except an unfortunate controversy with plymouth colony over trading boundaries on the kennebec the men established on this northern frontier were often lawless and difficult to control of loose habits and morals and intent on their own profit and the region itself was inhospitable to organized and settled government yet out of these somewhat nebulous beginnings four settlements arose portsmouth Masonian and anglican dover anglican and puritan exeter and hampton both puritan each with its civil compact and each an independent town The inhabitants were few in number and the generality of mean and low estates and little disposed to union among themselves but in sixteen thirty eight to sixteen thirty nine when massachusetts discovered that one interpretation of her charter would carry her northern boundary to a point above them she took them under her protecting wing after considerable debate this jurisdiction was recognized and the new hampshire and maine towns were brought within her boundaries henceforth for many years a number of these towns though in part anglican communities and never burdened with the requirement that their freemen be church members were represented in the general court at boston nevertheless the mason and Gorges adherents whose anglican and pro-monarchical sympathies were hostile to puritan control and who were supported by the persistent efforts of the mason family in england were able to obtain the separation of new hampshire from massachusetts in 1678. Maine however remained a part of the bay colony to the end of the colonial period the circumstances attending the settlement of new haven were wholly unlike those of new hampshire john davenport a london clergyman of an extreme puritan type theophilus eaton a london merchant in the baltic trade and a member of the eastland company samuel eaton and john lathrop two nonconforming ministers were the leaders of the movement Lathrop never went to new haven and samuel eaton early returned to england the leaders and many of their followers were men of considerable property for that day and their interest in trade gave to the colony a marked commercial character the company was composed of men and women from london and its vicinity and of others who joined them from kent hereford and yorkshire as both davenport and theophilus eaton were members of the massachusetts bay company they were familiar with its work and on coming to America in June 1637. They stopped at Boston and remained there during the winter. Pressure was brought upon them to make Massachusetts their home, but without success, for though Davenport had much in common with the Massachusetts people, he was not content to remain where he would be merely one among many. Desiring a free place for worship and trade, he sent Eaton, voyaging, to find one, and the latter, who had heard of Quinnipiac, on the connecticut shore viewed this spot and reported favorably in march sixteen thirty eight the company set sail from boston and laid the foundations of the town of new haven this company had neither charter nor land grant and as far as we know it had made no attempt to obtain either the first planters says kingsley recognized in their acts no human authority foreign to themselves unlike the pilgrims in their mayflower compact they made no reference in their plantation covenant to the dread sovereign king james and in none of their acts and statements did they express a longing for their native country or regard for its authority their settlement bears some resemblance to that of the rhode island towns but it was better organized and more orderly from the beginning the settlers may have drawn up their covenant before leaving boston and may have reached Quinnipiac as a community already united in a common civil and religious bond their lands which they purchased from the indians they laid out in their own way the next year on june fourth sixteen thirty nine they held a meeting in robert newman's barn and there declaring that the word of god should be their guide in families and commonwealth and that only church members should be sharers in government they chose twelve men as the foundations of their church state two months later these twelve selected seven pillars who proceeded to organize a church by associating others with themselves under the leadership of the seven the government continued until october when they resigned and a gathering of the church members elected Theophilus Eaton as their magistrate and four others to act as assistants with a secretary and a treasurer thus was begun a form of government which when perfected was very similar to that of the other new england colonies while new haven as a town colony was taking on form other plantations were arising nearby Milford was settled partly from New Haven and partly from Wethersfield, where an overplus of clergy was leading to disputes and many withdrawals to other parts. Guilford was settled directly from England, Southhold on Long Island, was settled also from England by way of New Haven. Stamford had its origin in a Wethersfield quarrel, when the Reverend Richard Denton, blind of one eye, but not the least among the seers of Israel, departed with his flock. Brantford also was born of a Wethersfield controversy, and later received accessions from Long Island. In 1643, Milford, Guilford, and Stamford combined under the common jurisdiction of New Haven, to which Southold and Branford acceded later with a form of government copied after that of Massachusetts, though the colony was distinctly federal in character, consisting of the government of New Haven, with the plantations in combination therewith though there was no special reservation of town rights in the fundamental articles which defined the government yet the towns five in number considered themselves free to withdraw at any time if they so desired we have thus reviewed the conditions under which some forty towns grouped under five jurisdictions were founded in new england they were destined to treble their number in the next generation and to suffer such regrouping as to reduce the jurisdictions to four before the end of the century new hampshire separating from massachusetts new haven being absorbed by connecticut and plymouth submitting to the authority of massachusetts under the charter of sixteen ninety one in this readjustment we have the origin of four of the six new england states of the present day end of chapter three